Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello and welcome to the Space Nuts podcast, episode 136. And if it's your first time finding us, uh, well, a special welcome to you too. Uh, as many people have been telling us lately, they've uh, recently discovered our podcast and are listening to the back catalogue from the very beginning. So yeah. that's lovely to know. And um, our numbers continue to climb in terms of downloads, and we really do appreciate that. So thank you, and uh, don't forget to tell your friends. Uh, and joining me, of course, is my partner in crime, uh, Fred Watson, uh, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. It's uh, great to be back in crime with you, yes. uh, as we seem to be every week. <laughs> yes, this is just a front. It's got nothing <laughs> Actually, to no. do with anything else. <laughs> this is front, back and sides. This, is, <laughs> this, is, this in itself is a big enough crime. Now, I've had a very adventurous week since uh, last speaking to you. I managed to catch the flu for the fourth time in 14 months. Uh, one, one was self-inflicted because I got a flu injection and then I got the flu. Yes. So I'm having a ripe old time, um, yeah. but I'm on the mend again. Hopefully this Good. will be the last time I get it for the rest of my life. But on top of that, I am looking at the current temperature in my locality, which is in uh, the central west uh, provincial city of Dubbo, New South Wales, Australia, and it is 44.2 degrees. Hang on. That's that centigrade. Yeah, I'm going to just work it out myself now. 44.2 <laughs> equals Fahrenheit. Um <laughs> because, you know, those people up north and all, and see what the answer comes in at. 111.56 degrees Fahrenheit. Got it in. is here right now. And yep. I'm feeling every inch of it. <laughs> it is it is woeful. Anyway, uh, we're going to get through it and hope that the air conditioner doesn't bust a gut. And uh, what we're doing today, Fred, is we're dedicating the whole episode to listener questions. And just to pricey the question, so I don't read them all out at once, uh, why is Uranus upside down, dark matter lensing and cosmic microwave um, background after the Big Bang? Uh, they're the, the general, general um, nuts and bolts of what people want to talk about today. So, uh, Fred, our first question uh, comes from a young fellow named Zach McEwen. He might be 85, I don't know. Uh, love the podcast. It's perfect for listening to on my long night drives in the desert around Moomba, where I work. Mm. And uh, we get great dark skies out there. He's talking about uh, central parts of Australia, basically, central southern parts, uh, I think. And uh, one question, yeah. why is the axis tilt of Uranus so different to the rest of the solar system? Uh, cheers, keep up the good work. Thank you, Zach. Uh, Zach, you really need to read Fred's book. Why is Uranus upside down? He it was When I saw the question come in, I thought, this is absolutely perfect for Fred. And I think we've sort of been over this ground once or twice before, but it never hurts to, to go back again so Fred can promote his book, so Fred can explain the situation. 
Well, actually, there's new work on it, Andrew. So um, it's a good question from Zach, and it's well, uh, well determined. Uh, so the book, uh, I have to say, Why Is Uranus Upside Down? Yes, I published, I think, in 2007 or something like that. That was uh, not just about the planet Uranus or Uranus, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Yeah, the uh, safe it was, way or the dangerous way. <laughs> yes, that's right. It was um, lots of questions in fact, 148, if I remember the number, uh, which came in on uh, um, actually uh, radio programs very like the one we used to do, you and I, mm. in the days when you were broadcasting for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Oh, uh, yes. That's, and, um, that's coming up on three years since I left yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. So, so this, the book was lots of questions we had from listeners and their answers, and one of them... Uh, happened to be Why Is Uranus Upside Down, which the publishers thought would make a very good title for the book. Funny that. Uh, and the answer back in 2007 was more or less the same as it is now, but uh, with a lot more detail now. Um, uh, in fact, Uranus is not actually upside down. It, it's only just upside down. Um, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's axis of rotation, uh, which you remember on the Earth, the, the Earth's axis is tilted over at round about 23 and a half degrees to mm -hmm. the kind of vertical in its orbit. Uh, in the planet Uranus, it's tilted over by more than 90 degrees. It's 98 degrees. So its axis points slightly to the south of the plane in which it orbits, in which it, it, it's really on its side. But you could say at a pinch, yes, so, it's so upside it's, down. So it's... Yeah, okay. I'm just trying to picture it in my head what it's doing. So it's uh, it's spinning what vertically? So no, so if you think of think of um, something like the earth. Yeah. Uh, the earth is spinning anticlockwise as as uh, seen from above the north pole. And now imagine um, tilting the earth over so that it's still spinning anticlockwise but its axis is pointing um uh, Below the below its um, below its orbit plane, so it's, point, it's tilted over by 98 degrees, eight right. degrees more than a right angle, and the, and the reason why, so you might say, oh well, why isn't it tilted over at uh, 82 degrees? Um, but it's not. The reason why it's 98 degrees is because we denote the rotation, the direction of rotation, as being what specifies what is the North Pole. The North Pole of a planet is the one where the rotation is going anticlockwise. And so Uranus's North Pole is actually pointing south, which is not a good state to be in. So that's the situation. It's very different from the other planets of the solar system. Um, and we've always assumed that uh, it was because the uh, infant Uranus back in the early history of the solar system, three or four billion years ago, was hit by something about the size of the Earth, um, that an impact actually disturbed it to the extent that uh, when it was formed, it was almost certainly rotating upright in its orbit. But that clout um, that it received from a, an impacting body uh, tilted it over. What's now happened, uh, and this is work carried out roughly six months ago in the University of Durham in northern England. They have a giant, uh, giant astronomical computer there that simulates all kinds of things, like the evolution of the universe and things of that sort. Uh, but they've turned it loose on the problem of why Uranus is like it is and simulated um, what you get from various types of impact. And they think they have uh, found a, a recipe 
that actually produces pretty well what we see in Uranus because it's not just its rotation that's peculiar. Uh, Uranus is very, very cold. The top of its cloud belt is colder than any of the other planets. Not as cold as the dwarf planet Pluto, which is much further out, but it is still very cold. I think it's something like minus 216 degrees Celsius, whereas you'd expect it to be a little bit warmer than that. At the... oh, I wish it was minus 216 <laughs> degrees right now, to be honest. I bet you do, yeah. So it's, it's a bit unfair talking about things like... So unfair talking about ice giant planets when mm. you're sitting in a, in a, in a what approximates to an oven, um, being slowly basted in your own sweat. Well, I have I actually turned the oven on and opened the door to cool the house down. <laughs> There's some wonky physics there, I think. But never mind, that doesn't matter. That's all right. <laughs> you, you do whatever you think, right? Um, so uh, why is it so cold? And also, its magnetic, magnetic field is really peculiar as well. It's kind of off-centre. Its, its magnetic field is not centred on the centre of the planet, as most other magnetic fields are, including the Earth's. And so what the uh, Durham University astronomers did was build these simulations with their um, high-power computer, and it turns out that it looks now as though Uranus was hit by something rather bigger than what we thought before, roughly twice the size of the Earth. But it, it was a glancing blow. Um, it wasn't a kind of full-on uh, in-the-stomach type hit. It, it was basically a glancing blow on the outside of Uranus's atmosphere. And the simulations showed that what happens in that case is the, the impacting planet basically disintegrates. It, it falls to bits. It's probably made of rock and ice because it's out in the icy region of the solar system. Um, but they suggest that debris from the impacting planet um, would have formed a shell around the edge of Uranus, the infant Uranus, a shell of icy um, material. Ah. And that, that acts as a kind of trap to stop internal heat from Uranus actually spreading to the outside. And so what you've got is this outer shell, which is very, very cold, um, colder than you would expect of, of a planet like Uranus. Um, that was all peer reviewed and published. It seems to be very much the, the best simulation we have as to why uh, Uranus is like it is with this peculiar tilt. With, with you, okay, so the planet that, or whatever the object was that hit Uranus was destroyed. Why did Uranus survive being a gas giant? I mean, it, it, it would seem illogical for something soft and squishy like that to survive a rock-solid impact. <laughs> well, well, maybe the soft and squishiness of it is what allowed it to survive. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but um, uh, the, the main reason is that the, the mass of the, of the proto-Uranus, if I can put it that way, uh, as distinct from the thing that ran into it, the, the mass of Uranus itself is much bigger than the object that ran into it. It's, it's very much a, a dwarf and a giant situation, the, the, you know, the, the impacting planet being the one that came off worst uh, because it was by far uh, the smaller of the two. Um, so the, the other thing that this neatly explains is that this impact uh, would have spread a whole lot of icy debris around Uranus, and it's thought that th that might have been what coalesced to form Uranus's moons. Um, and that the gravitational effect of Uranus, which by then was already on its side, um, is to steer these moons into a path 
that goes around Uranus's equator because the, the orbit of Uranus's moons is also, uh, the, the, the orbits are also, you know, essentially parallel to the planet's equator. So they're also tilted over at this comical 98-degree angle. Um, that suggests that the, the, the moons of Uranus probably formed um, after, the, after the impact. The thing that's really staggering to me about this simulation, Andrew, is that this whole process took place in a matter of maybe a hundred, perhaps less, but of order a hundred hours. Whoa. So it's not uh, something that hung around. I thought you were going to say a hundred years, which would have stunned yeah. me, but it would, yeah, hundred hours stunned me as well. But they say it took place in hours, which is quite remarkable. Um, you, you don't have to look fine, uh, look very far on the internet to find uh, the University of Durham simulation. There's a YouTube simulation showing this actually happening. It's worth a look because it gives you an idea of the way planets behave when they collide, just in case we ever have to face the same issue ourselves here on Earth. Mm. Now, um, as this is a Q&A question, something you said has prompted a question in my mind. Uh, as we know, Earth isn't the only planet that has aurorae due to um, uh, the effects of the sun uh, and those um, particles uh, hitting the magnetic field. What would does um, Uranus have aurorae, and if so, where do they appear? Yeah, the good question. The answer is yes. Um, all the gas giant planets, which all have quite intense magnetic fields, they all have aurorae, um, and the ones on Uranus occur near the poles of the magnet rather than the poles of the planet itself. Um, um, I, have, I have seen images of aurorae on Uranus, and they are a bit odd because they're. You know, they're not where you expect them to be, that you expect them to be at the top and bottom of a planet, but they're sort of halfway around yeah. as you, where the magnetic poles are. I suspected that would be the answer. Okay. Yeah, very, very good. Yes. Thank you, Fred. Well done. And uh, thank you to Zach for asking that uh, insightful question, why is Uranus upside down? And Zach, all I can say is if yours is, you need to go and see a doctor. And... <laughs> We do welcome your questions, of course, and uh, enjoy your work out in the desert at Moomba. Uh, I was right, southern central Australia. This is Space Nuts. Uh, I'm Andrew Dunkley uh, with, uh, with Fred Watson. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, ExpressVPN, rated number one by Tech Radar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years and I love it. When I joined ExpressVPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons. And there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked. And a couple of years down the track, honestly, can't complain. Their interface is very easy to use. Their, their service is second to none. Uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do, and they were brilliant. So you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all. It's all about privacy. Uh, do you really want big tech companies, governments, and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity? Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? 
This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Okay, we checked all four systems and being with a go. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, from people with upside-down bottoms to people who have dark matter problems, which are almost identical, really. Uh, we've got a question here from, uh, from Travis in Oregon. I'm only calling him Travis because if I try to pronounce his surname, I will be talking for a very long time. Uh, he says, hello from Bend, Oregon, USA. Interesting name for the place depend, uh, based on the topics we've just been talking about. I love your show. Here's my question. Since dark matter can only be seen gravitationally and it accounts for more uh, matter than the matter we can see in other galaxies, is part of gravitational lensing using dark matter or does dark matter not lens? Dun, dun, dun. Sorry, I was just trying to be dramatic. <laughs> well, it's better than being smutty, if I may say so. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> oh, dear. Space Smuts, that's what we should be <laughs> Good name. We yeah. might have to change it. <laughs> so um, it's a great question uh, uh, to uh, from Travis. I, um, th I think I just have to spend a little bit of time to explain what's going on. So dark matter, this stuff that we believe... Uh, amounts to or accounts for something like 70% of the of the mass of the universe of the, the matter in the universe uh, it's uh, the, why do we believe it's there because we see galaxies uh, and clusters of galaxies that should tear themselves apart by their own rotation in the case of galaxies and their own internal movement in the case of clusters of galaxies they should tear themselves apart if the gravity uh, of what you can see is all that there was and there is clearly something else there that has gravitational influence and holds them together uh, that's the bottom line with dark matter we believe it is some species of subatomic particle that has not yet been identified there are candidates in the theoretical world but there's not nothing yet to support the uh, the theory um, uh, in terms of practical observations. I did see today, just as a quick aside here, Andrew, mm -hmm. uh, that there is a new plan from the people who run the Large Hadron Collider, uh, and that is to build an even bigger Large Hadron Collider, uh, which is going to be called... Um, I've, I've actually I had my page bookmarked the for this. slightly larger Large Hadron it's, Collider. No, it's, I think it's the LCC, which is the large, it's even larger circular collider. I can't remember. I've uh, lost the page that I had it up on. But they're planning something with a, instead of a 27 kilometer tunnel 
under the uh, Lake of Geneva. It's going to be a 100-kilometre tunnel. Good grief. Geneva. And, and the reason for that, the reason why people are now keen on something much bigger than that is that um, it looks as though our theories as to what dark matter is have kind of run out. Uh, the theories are there, but they've, they've run out of, of headspace in the practical experiments that we can do. So the energy of the Large Hadron Collider, which is 14 trillion electron volts, uh, is not enough to collide the dark matter particles and reveal them. They're much more massive than that. And so, because uh, mass and energy are the same thing in this subatomic world. Mm. So um, the plans are to build a, a big new one, which they hope will be ready by 2050, which is kind of pushing it a bit for me, because I'll be 105 then. Uh, so I-, I It's, it's more than 105 here now. Yeah, that's right. It's 111. Well, you don't you, you don't look your age, Andrew. I have to say. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the won't the, take long though in these conditions. <laughs> no, that's right. The collider, uh, if it's built, that that will be one of the reasons to try and identify what dark matter is. But just returning to Travis's question, um, one of the reasons why we are so convinced that dark matter exists is because it actually does. Uh, it does gravitationally lens light. And what that means is that anything that's got matter in it actually distorts space. That's the general theory of relativity that Einstein produced in 1915. So a planet or a star or a galaxy or a cluster of galaxies, all of those things distort space. And that distortion acts as a lens on the light of anything that's beyond the object. I mean, the simplest is, is if you've got a star like the sun, uh, it's gravitationally distorted space acts as a lens. And that's actually how Einstein's theory was proved, because um, the positions of stars behind the sun during an eclipse were seen to have changed. Um, the bottom line is, and to cut to the chase, dark matter does lens uh, light as well. And that's how we can map out the dark matter in a cluster of galaxies, for example, because what you do is you look for much more distant galaxies beyond and you see them as distorted images because the, the lens of, of the uh, distorted space around the cluster of galaxies actually modifies those images. But you know what they should look like. So you can actually plot where the dark matter is in a cluster of galaxies. It's a very, very powerful tool, and it's actually why astronomers know so much more about dark matter than you, you might expect that they would. It's because they can map it using gravitational lensing. Okay, there you go, Travis. You're on the bean, or beam. You're, you're spot on, anyway, to use an Australian analogy. Uh, and well done. Look, I, I know I joke around a fair bit, but I've been thinking pretty heavily about this this sort of question about dark matter and um, trying to figure out what it is. I have I have a theory. The Dunkley theory on answering the question of what we don't understand in the universe. It's it's not um, dark matter. It's doesn't matter. <laughs> ah, but dark matter does matter. Oh, of course it does. <laughs> of course it does. Because without it, we probably wouldn't be here. It's thought to have been the kind of, you know, the, the, the nucleus that allowed the hydrogen of galaxies to condense back in the early universe before you and I were born. Mm. You know, I'm starting to realise that just about everything has to be here for us to be here. It's starting to really add up like that. Yeah. Um, if if there's just one element missing from the entire universe, I'm pretty sure it would be a very different universe. The The... the thing is, Andrew, that your 
absolutely entitled uh, to comment on dark matter uh, because your name is adapted from the German word for dark, Dunkel. Well, is it, well actually, <laughs> yes. I've done the I've done the family history thing, and uh, the the name is actually English. Yeah. Um, and it well, and, and it uh, it derives from a clearing in a forest named a Lee. Oh, a Lee. Okay. In the vicinity mm -hmm. of Dunk. But if you were if you were German, you'd be the dark person. Sorry, Dunker, dark. because Dunker Lee was the original name. We took out the er <laughs> because nobody liked it. This was in the 14th century. I, I don't know when it was. Yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, it anyway, we got it down. Mm. Dark matter is uh, good stuff. We know about it because of lensing. Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you, Travis. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. You're listening to Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with, of course, Fred Watson. Space Nuts. To our last question for this episode, Fred, but it's been good to be able to knock off a, a few questions that have been teasing the minds of, uh, of the Space Nuts audience. Uh, we uh, have one here from Dave and Hederman, and a few other people have asked similar questions on the same topic, so um, they may well pick up the answer to their question as well. So we're, we're more or less bumping off three or four questions at once, I think. Uh, anyway, David says, thanks for doing this podcast. It is easily my favourite science show. I was going to say he must only listen to ours, but he says, I do listen to quite a few different ones. They must be horrible. Anyway, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a question which relates to an answer Fred gave some time ago. I apologise, but I'm a little behind on my, in, in my listening. Yeah, I, I'm only up to episode two of our series myself. Uh, the original question related to looking back far enough in time to see the Big Bang, and Fred noted that it was shrouded in Andrew's brilliant fog. I, I know I've got brilliant fog. Uh, well, something along those lines. However, uh, Fred spoke about it like we were looking at a glow in the distance, but the reality is that we are seeing photons rushing past us as they travel through space. If the period of this glow is finite, and I understand it was about 380,000 years, there must come a time when all the photons will have passed us like ripples spreading on a pond. Very poetic, David. Uh, which would allow us to see what is beyond. Clearly, my paradigm is incorrect because the probability of a 380,000-year burst of photons just happening to be passing us now is in the uh, is approximately three billion years uh, in the in the approximate three billion year age of the universe seems fairly low. Can you explain the error in my thinking? Yeah, don't write such complicated questions, David. I think would be a start. But Fred, uh, we have come across this question once or twice before, uh, or different varieties of the same question. Yes, that's right. And in fact, um, it and was it keeps very coming. Recent. People keep wanting to know the answer to this one. Yes, that's right. Scott uh, Mansa in Sydney, he's asked the same, the same question. So if you're listening, Scott, I hope this helps. And and David's question is is well put. I understand why he has um, a problem in understanding what's going on. Uh, if, if we are looking back to a time 380,000 years after the Big Bang, when we see this background radiation, what we call the cosmic microwave background radiation, because it's um, in the microwave region of the spectrum all around the sky, um, why, uh, why, you know, why does it only why, why does it last for apparently much more than 380,000 years? And the answer is we're, we're all kind of looking at it in slightly the wrong way. It's certainly true that th those 
photons of light that have come from that radiation. They're actually photons of, of, of microwaves now. They started off as light, but they've been stretched by the expansion of the universe, so they're microwaves. Uh, that is true. They are heading towards us, and we are bathed in those photons from every direction, and that's how we know that the microwave background is there. But it's a little bit more subtle um, than just saying, well, those photons can only be uh, emitted for 380,000 years, and then you see the Big Bang itself. Um, if you, first of all, the main thing to understand is that the universe is very, very, very large. Um, and you oh, can, here we go. It's Hitchhikers yeah. again. <laughs> the Space universe is big. Is big. <laughs> you might think it's a long way down to the chemists, but yeah, all of the, all of the above. It may even be infinite. That's the bottom line. Mm. Um, and that gives you a, a slightly different take on it. And I think the best way to look at it, and I read this many, many years ago, but I think it's an excellent analog analogy of what's going on, is to think of it not in terms of, of light, um, but think of it in terms of sound. And if you... Um, and, and you might collapse it into two dimensions as well, rather than thinking in a three-dimensional space, because it's easier to do it if you're in two dimensions. So, okay, Andrew, you and I go to um, a concert of our respective favourite musicians, uh, whomever they may be. Uh, an enormous paddock somewhere near Dubbo, occupying half of western New South Wales. Uh, so there's this field of of um of people people full of people this this concert's absolutely full of every, of people so you've got this enormous uh, area we're stuck in the middle somewhere with thousands of people around us and about a mile away at the front there is the band um and they're playing and everybody cheers at the end of every number and at the end of the concert everybody goes wild so we are surrounded by cheering hordes of people um, but the band suddenly gets enough of the adulation and signals everyone to stop. And because they do that by waving their arms, um, everybody stops instantaneously um, because the speed of light, it, it, to all intents and purposes, is infinite when you're talking about something the size of a, of a paddock. OK, so everybody stops cheering instantaneously. But you and I are in the middle of this crowd. So the question is, do we hear silence immediately and the answer is we don't mm. because what we hear is um after one second after the after the cheering stops we can still hear sound coming from people 330 meters away because that's how far sound travels in one second uh, two seconds after it stopped, we hear sound coming from people 660 metres away. Three seconds, we hear sound coming from people a kilometre away. But the fact is that the sound does not stop. Those sound waves keep on coming towards us, even though we have stopped and all the people around us have stopped cheering. But we still hear cheering. And if you had an infinite field and you could hear you know, things for over an infinite distance, then it would never stop. You would hear this um, ex basically, you've got an expanding circle of silence, if I can put it that way, yeah. um, with the cheering coming from the outer edge of that. But that that is uh, that um, uh, cheering circle, if you can put it that way, is receding from us at the speed of sound. So it's getting bigger all the time uh, at the speed of sound relative to us stuck in the middle. 
if your field, if your paddock is infinite, it doesn't matter. That means it will just keep on going. Uh, it won't stop. And effectively, that's the situation in the universe. Um, we were, you know, if you imagine you and I standing on a planet that didn't exist uh, when the Big Bang, uh, you know, 380,000 years after the Big Bang had occurred, the universe at that point was still highly luminous. There were, there, there was, you know, photons of light everywhere, cheering everywhere, if you want to put it that way. And then relatively quickly, didn't happen instantaneously, but it was over a very short time, the universe became transparent. Um, and what that means is that you don't suddenly see nothing in the universe. You see an, you're at the center of an expanding sphere of brightness. Um, and that brightness, actually, as I said, because of the uh, age of the universe now, is turned into microwaves. But that sphere is still expanding. Mm. So the cosmic, background background, the cosmic microwave background radiation, this wall of radiation that we see everywhere in the universe, is moving away from us at the speed of light. Uh, but because the universe is so big, it'll never get to the end. Uh, we will always see it, at least uh, for you know for um, for a time that is large, connected with any kind of time that we could observe. So it kind of puts it into a different context. What you're seeing is really an echo of something that stopped a long time ago, but the the, the signal is still coming from us. Yeah, from it's it's sort of like tax. It just <laughs> it just keeps on coming. <laughs> well, that's all right. When you become extinct, they'll probably stop taxing you, although they might not. No, in this, in this state, in this state, in this country, you pay a truckload of tax when you kick the bucket. <laughs> so, well, that's right. I couldn't anyway. possibly comment on that. <laughs> no, it's probably dangerous for me to do that too. They don't like yes. people to know because you're supposed to be dead. Anyway, uh, but that, that was a very, in all seriousness again, uh, a very... Um, really clever way of trying to demonstrate it so that it um it puts it into our own way of thinking because i i think and i don't mean to use this word but i think our failure in thinking about this is we we know time as we know time on this planet which mm. is irrelevant to the time of the universe and the activities within so it becomes a different totally different yeah. kettle of fish Yes, that's right. You, you, that, that's right. You've you kind of got to shift your, your viewpoint a little bit. That's um, why we have astronomers. That's, <laughs> maybe so. Mm, mm. Maybe so. All right. Thank you, David, uh, for your question. And, and also thank you to Scott. Oh, uh, uh, one point. You mentioned a paddock uh, yep. down the road from my house being, yep. you know, half Infinite. the state of New South Wales. <laughs> I'd like to explain something to you, Fred. I live halfway across New South Wales. And if I go to the bottom of my hill, there is a paddock. Now, yes. if I walked west from the beginning of that paddock, I wouldn't hit another town until I was halfway across the state. Yes, I can imagine that. So <laughs> you're actually spot on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right on the edge of this town, and there is another major provincial city for uh, about eight hours' drive west of me. Which is Broken Hill, I guess. It is Broken Hill, yeah, yeah. which is also yeah. having a wonderfully cool day. Oh, no, they're doing, they're doing it tough out there. Mm, yeah. Uh, we've, we've had some massive dust storms here recently. We yes. had one on uh, New Year's Eve, in fact, that wiped out our fireworks display. We had to cancel it. And yeah. uh, it, we, we had clouds hundreds of metres high, bright red dust. It was just the most stunning thing to see, but most horrible thing to sit through. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's, that's life out here at the moment. Mm. 
little bit better in Sydney. You haven't got the heat we've got, but um, you're getting close sometimes. Yeah, it's it's we've had our ups and downs, yeah. <laughs> mostly up. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Fred, as always, thank you so much, and uh, we will talk to you again very, very soon. Sounds great, Andrew, and um, enjoy uh, cooling down when it finally stops being hot. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, now, uh, I would also like to say thank you to all the people who send in questions and uh, to encourage more. Uh, we try to get to them all. Sometimes we answer them by, by email or on Facebook, um, but uh, we do try to get to as many as we can on the podcast itself. Uh, it can be a bit daunting sometimes, especially when they come in by the dozens, but uh, we, we, don't, um, we don't ignore them. Well... No, we don't. And <laughs> we will catch you again soon on the uh, next episode of Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. <laughs>